I'm Pastor Richard Gamble, and the following message is made available by First Baptist Church of Bastrop, Louisiana. To find out more about First Baptist Bastrop, go to www.firstbastrop.org. That's www.firstbastrop.org. Well, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, now as we come to this time, open up your word and learn from your word, Lord. We just pray that you would speak to us today. Lord, direct our hearts, direct our minds, Lord. We want to conform to your image and your likeness, Lord. We want to think like you think, do like you do. So, Lord, I pray that you would transform us today, each and every heart today, Lord, as we study this text of Scripture. Lord, help us to be more like Christ. These things I pray in Christ's name. Amen. Well, if you have your Bibles with you this morning, you can turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 21. Deuteronomy chapter 21, continuing our study there in Deuteronomy. Today we're looking at two verses, 22 and 23. Deuteronomy chapter 21, verses 22 through 23. If you don't have a Bible of your own, you can grab one of the Pew Bibles there, and it's page 153 in the Pew Bible. Page 153 in the Pew Bible. And if you don't own a Bible, then uh, please take that Pew Bible with you. It's our gift to you. We want everybody to have a copy of God's Word, so please take that and use it. Well, we're, as we're working through the book of Deuteronomy, and uh, it's been an experience as we've gone through here, and we've looked at different things, and uh, you don't hear a lot of people preaching on Deuteronomy, which is a shame. Uh, a lot of the commentators, a lot of the theologians Mark Deuteronomy as the, the theological book of the Old Testament, the, the really the hard-hitting theological book of the Old Testament. It's also been compared to the, the Romans of the Old Testament. So New Testament, we have the, the great theological tome in the book of Romans, and many see Deuteronomy as the theological tome of the Old Testament. And so uh, we learn from it, and we learn about God's character in it and what God wants us to be, how he wants us to reflect his image in this world. And so we've been working through that. Right now in this section of Deuteronomy, uh, I believe Moses is expounding on and applying the sixth commandment. And what is the sixth commandment? Thou shalt not what? Murder. Thou shalt not murder. It's about murder. But the, the principle behind the sixth commandment is, is really about human dignity. It's about human dignity and a, about maintaining the dignity of human life. Right? Because where do we get our dignity? Our, we, every human being has dignity, right? Has inherent value because every human being is created in the image and likeness of God. So you go back to Genesis and back to uh, well, chapter 9 of Genesis when Noah comes out of the ark and God gives his word to, to Noah. And there in, in chapter 9, verse 6 of Genesis, he says, Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. For, because God made man in his own image. And because every human being is created in the image and likeness of God, every human being has intrinsic, inherent value. 
So we see the dignity of human life. Every person has inherent value. Dignity is inherent. Let's make sure we're clear of this. Dignity is inherent. Every human being has dignity because of their, their relationship to God, because they reflect the image of God. But, and it's not earned. Right? No one, you don't earn dignity. Dignity is inherent. It's intrinsic within each person. So think about it like this. Dignity is inherent. It's inherent value and worth. Respect, on the other hand, and people often use these uh, uh, synonymously, but they're not. They're two different concepts. Dignity is inherent value and worth because of our image uh, being in God. Respect, on the other hand, is earned. It is earned admiration due to qualities or achievements. So we're not talking about respect. We're talking about dignity. Every human being has intrinsic value because every human being is created in the image and likeness of God. So we're we're called to maintain the dignity of human life. As Christians, as people, we are called to maintain the dignity of the value of human life, which means we must preserve and protect human life as much as it is within our power to do so. Furthermore, we treat people with dignity. We treat people as if they are valuable because they are. We treat people with value. We value them because of who they are as a person. We treat people with dignity, and as we saw the last couple of weeks, dignity starts in the home. It starts with our spouse. It starts with our children. That's the first place that we recognize the dignity of other human beings is in the home. But it doesn't stop there. It extends far beyond the home. And today, and, and, and you see this con- contrast here, right? Today we see that it goes far beyond the home to include even the criminal. Even the criminal, right? The most despised in society, the the value of human life extends even to them. And we are to treat criminals with dignity and respect because criminals are created in God's image. We are called, again, to treat criminals with dignity and respect because criminals are created in God's image. Therefore, when, we, when it comes to our justice system, as citizens of, of this country, we should aim to encourage our government and, and move our government to treat criminals with dignity. And so today, as we, we look at our text, we're going to see three ways we treat criminals with dignity. Three ways to treat criminals with dignity, and I hope we, I can bring that out of our text here today. So let's look at our text, and this is one of those that uh, make people scratch their heads sometimes, but uh, let's look at it. Starting in verse 22 there, notice what it says there, and if a man has committed a crime punishable by death, and he is put to death, and you hang him on a tree... His body shall not remain all night on the tree, but you shall bury him the same day, for a hanged man is cursed by God. 
You shall not defile your land that the Lord your God is giving you for an inheritance. So today we're, we're dealing with a text here, and it goes to the very extreme, right? So we've been talking about families, but now, we, now we're, we're to the very extreme where a criminal has been charged with a crime that is so uh, serious that it requires the death penalty. All right, so this is a murderer. This is someone who has done something just uh, terrible, right? They, they've killed another human being, and, and now they have been put to death themselves. Now, it recognizes that a practice in those days was to take a condemned person like that and hang them on a tree. They didn't hang. When we think about a man hanging on a tree, we, we think about the Old West and the death, death sentence here in America where they would hang them. Now, that wasn't the case back then. They didn't hang people to death, but they put people to death, and then they would hang their body out as a warning to the rest of society, right? And, and so the Scripture here is recognizing that that was a practice. It's not requiring that. It's just recognizing it as a practice. And so it recognizes, here's this criminal that has committed the ultimate crime that requires that criminal to be put to death. And, and on top of that, it's so bad that they, the, the people there uh, decide to hang his body out on a tree and Scripture says, but you're not to leave him there all night. Why? Because even that dead body, even that person who was condemned by God, cursed by God, is valuable. Just because he was condemned and cursed by God doesn't take away the fact that he was created in the image and likeness of God and even his body, his dead corpse, should be treated with dignity. Well, what's tr true of the most serious of crime that requires the death penalty surely would be true of every other crime that wouldn't require the death penalty. Every criminal should be created treated with dignity because every criminal is created in the image and likeness of God. So how do we treat people with dignity? How do we treat criminals with dignity? First of all, treat criminals with dignity by holding criminals accountable. We must hold criminals accountable for their crimes, and, and even our text recognizes that, doesn't it? Our text recognizes that, that a person has been condemned to death. He has, uh, he has committed a, a crime so serious that it requires death. And Scripture doesn't say, don't put him to death. No, because God requires, right? There's a requirement there, especially when uh, under the case of a, a person who kills someone else maliciously as we go back to Genesis chapter 9, right? Uh, if anyone kills a man by the hand of man, shall he die? And so it doesn't say don't, don't kill him, don't put him to death. No, it says justice is required, right? Justice must be carried out. And so we must hold criminals accountable for their crimes. We must seek justice. We must seek justice. Well, what about grace? Yes, we give grace, and we're going to talk more about grace here in a minute. But grace never negates justice. And we're going to see that again here in a minute as well. 
As Christians, as followers of Jesus Christ, as people of God, we must always seek justice. Now, how do we seek justice? Well, there are a few ways that we seek justice. There's a couple of ways that I I want to recognize, first of all, how do you seek justice? Well, there's retribution. Retribution, that is the infliction of punishment that is commensurate with the crime committed. Now, notice what I say there. It's an infliction of punishment that is commensurate with the crime. In other words, it's equal to the crime. We see that even in Scripture with the lex talion, as it's been called, An eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, a life for a life. Right? The the, the punishment must be equal to the crime. It's not a, a life for an eye or a life for a hand. It's an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. The punishment is equal to the crime. It must be commensurate to the crime. And so we should seek retribution. We should seek punishment. We should uh, encourage our government our justice system to seek punishment that is equal to the crimes that are committed. Not too lenient, which is typically what we see in our justice system quite often, if we're honest, but not overly harsh either. It needs to be commensurate to the crime, equal to the crime. So there's retribution, and, but then there's also restitution. That is the restoration of that which was taken. Boy, if, if thieves had to pay back what they stole, there probably would be less thieves in the world. Right? That's the idea. If you take something then, and you're caught, then you, you pay it back. There's restitution. Now, how all that works out, we could talk a a long time about that and and that's not the point of the day but but we see that scripture calls us to always seek justice never sweep a crime under the rug but seek justice why because God demands justice God demands justice even God's grace does not neglect justice God always and forever will declare and and require justice. And by the way, in the end, justice will be served. So if you are here and you're a victim of a crime and the person who committed that crime against you did not receive justice, don't worry. God will require justice in the end. And God will accomplish justice in the end. So we we seek justice because God demands it, but also because it educates the populace, doesn't it? And we see this in in Deuteronomy especially, and and we've already seen it, and we'll see it again in in other places, but just back up a verse there in uh, chapter... uh, Chapter 21, verse 17, he talks about there. No, no, I went too far. Uh, Go down to verse 21, talking about the, the rebellious son there. So you shall purge the evil from your midst, and all Israel shall hear and fear. You know, that's kind of the idea with punishment. 
Right? It brings retribution. It brings all of those things. But it also educates other people. When criminals are punished for their crimes, other people see that and say, well, I don't want that, so let me do right. And so it educates the populace. It educates other people not to do that. You see, people need to understand that actions come with consequences. People need to understand that. People need to understand that, that they can't do something and just, well, you know, go scot-free. There, there's consequences to their actions. And so criminals must be held accountable. Think about it like this, and my school teachers understand this, right? If you have one disruptive child in a classroom, and, and you, you say, little Susie, you, you need to quit talking now. Little Susie, you need to quit talking now. Little Susie, don't, don't talk now. But if you never do anything, if little Susie continues to talk and you do nothing to correct her bad behavior to get her to be quiet during class, then guess what? It's not going to be long until the whole classroom is going to be out of order. Because the lack of punishment also teaches the populace as well, doesn't it? We must require justice. We must require justice. And by the way, when criminals are not held accountable for their crimes, we're saying ultimately that they're not worth the effort. They're just not worth the effort. Oh, they're that way because that's how they were raised, and, and there's nothing we can do to help them. There's nothing we can do to get them out of that. They're not worth the effort. We learned that same kind of principle last week, didn't we? Look at Proverbs. Proverbs says, if you spare the rod, the one who spares the rod hates the child. The person who, who spares the rod, the person who, who fails to, to discipline their own children, ultimately, they're not doing that out of love. They're doing that because they'd rather save themselves the heartache and the hardship of disciplining their child than to actually do what is best for the child. And so it is with, our, with criminals. If we don't require justice, if we don't hold them accountable, then we're saying, ah, they're just not worth the effort. We must seek justice. We hold them accountable. We treat them with dignity by holding them accountable for their crimes. Second, we treat criminals with dignity by treating criminals with uh, treating criminals humanely we must treat criminals humanely uh, again go back to our text here's a man who's been put to death his body's been hung out on a tree now in many of the other societies in that day they wouldn't take the body down in other societies, the body would be left up on the tree to allow animals to come and, and eat the body and let it rot and, and let it just be strode among, uh, upon the earth. I, they would disregard those bodies as pieces of garbage. But God said, my people will not be that way. Because regardless of that person's crimes... That person is created in the image and likeness of God. Therefore, that person has inherent value. So my people will give that body a proper burial. And they will treat the body with dignity. 
because that person is created in the image and likeness of God. So even the dead body, they were to treat uh, humanely. They were not to just discard it like trash. They were to give it the proper burial and treat that person even after death humanely. How much more so is the, the live criminal? Criminals must be treated with humane treatment, not like animals. So we're to treat them with, we're to treat criminals humanely, with humane treatment. That means humane interactions. Humane interactions, they shouldn't be talked to like animals and treated like animals. They should have humane conditions. Doesn't necessarily mean they have all the niceties at, at home, as we have at home, but, but given a bed to sleep in, food to eat, water to drink, they should be treated, have humane conditions, or they shouldn't just be put in a hole somewhere. We should treat criminals humanely. But I also think it also means humane reformation of the prisoners. Now, we don't see this, of course, in the text because the text is dealing with a dead person. But I think it points to that way, right? Humane reformation of the prisoner. Is it really humane to return prisoners to society without attempting to reform them? Changing their attitude, changing their, their disposition of life. Think about this, if you discipline a child for doing something wrong but fail to teach that child the right way to act and the right way to do things, what progress have you made? How much more with the, the common criminal? To treat criminals with dignity, we need to show them that they're, they're, they do have value and that they can be productive members of society. Don't just lock them up for a while and think time out of society is going to change what they do when they get back to society. A lot of them, they, they do what they do because they've not been taught anything different. They grew up in a household where they were, were taught to be criminals. They were taught to steal. They were taught to take drugs. They were taught all of these things. And, and while they're incarcerated, how much good could it do if, if they were taught a better way of life? A better way to live? We should, be, we should provide counseling for them. We should provide education opportunities and training opportunities for them so that maybe, just maybe, they won't be repeat offenders maybe when they get out instead of being a drain on society maybe they'll be productive members of society my brother-in-law who passed away a few years ago but he was a police officer before he passed away but i remember a story he told me of when he was a police officer the correctional facility there in arkansas the the, the prison in arkansas called up Warren PD and, and told him, hey, we got a guy that's uh, getting out and, and you need to, we need somebody to come pick him up. And so my brother-in-law had to go pick him up. So my brother-in-law drove over to Cummins Prison. He picked up this prisoner and brought him back to Warren. And on the way back to Warren, my brother-in-law just asked this guy the question, well, 
What about it now? You, you going to stay out this time? Because this guy's been in the prison several times. Are, are you going to stay out? Uh, are you going to try to do right? you going to try to get a job? you going to try to do better? And the guy said, well, I'm probably going to head back. Why? Because that's all he knew. That's all he knew. He didn't think he could do any better. So he was just looking for another way to go back to prison. That's a broken system. That's a broken system. We need to somehow teach those criminals their value. And try to reform them, try to to bring them out of that as productive members of society and not looking for a way to go back. We treat criminals with dignity by treating them humanely. So treat criminals with dignity, holding them accountable for their crimes, treating them with uh, treating them humanely. And third, and this really gets to the point, this is where the church comes in. We point criminals to the Redeemer. We've got to point criminals to the Redeemer. And we see that in the text, especially as New Testament Christians. We, we see this in the text because if you read this text and, and you know the New Testament very well, you, you remember, hey, wait a minute. Didn't Paul say something about this very same thing? In fact, yes, Paul says, he quotes this verse here, verse 23. For a hangman is cursed by God. Paul quotes that over in Galatians chapter 3, verse 13 and 14. Which means that Deuteronomy here is pointing to Christ and His coming. In Galatians chapter 3, verses 13 through 14, Paul says Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us, For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree, so that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we might receive the promised Spirit through faith. You see, this text in Deuteronomy points to Jesus Christ coming and dying on the cross for us. It points us to to Christ who redeemed us by becoming a curse for us in our place. You see, here's where, where we're getting to. Here's what I was pointing to earlier. When I said grace never neglects justice. Grace never, ever, ever negates justice. God always requires justice. And the fact of the matter is, if we got justice, if we got what we deserved, we would be cursed by God. Because of our sin and our rebellion, we deserve death. But not just physical death, we deserve eternal death. For we were dead in our trespasses and sins, in which we once once walked. Following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, 
And we were all, by nature, children of God's wrath. We deserve death. Eternal death because of our sin and our rebellion against a holy, righteous God. But on Calvary's cross, Christ became a curse for us. Christ took on our curse in our place. And on Calvary's cross, as Jesus became a curse for us, the justice of God was satisfied in Him. So that whatever I've done and whatever you have done can be forgiven because Christ paid the penalty. Dear friend, Christ became a curse for you. He died for you so that you might be redeemed, so that you might be forgiven. So that you might receive the gift of the promised gift of the Holy Spirit in your own life to change you and transform you and give you a life in Christ. The same is true for the criminal. The one on cell block B in the penitentiary who committed whatever crime he or she committed. Christ became a curse for them. If they'll only receive Him by faith. And the greatest hope they have is not reformation, but transformation. Right? We, we can do all the reformation that we want to in prison, but if they're not transformed by the power of God and the power of the Holy Spirit, if they don't know the Redeemer, the greatest chance is they're going to end up because they haven't been transformed. You see, we need to introduce them to the Redeemer. We need to introduce them to Jesus Christ so that Christ may redeem them. Forgiving them of all of their sins, of all of their crimes against God and humanity. And give them the Holy Spirit who can change the course of their life. And bring them out of that life of crime. Man, I think about my friends Chuck and Loretta Miller. Chuck and Loretta, we, we met them at seminary. He was there going through seminary at the same time we were. They were from Arkansas, actually. And Chuck and Loretta are husband and wife. And uh, they, they did life together. I mean, they lived together. They uh, broke the law together. They did all of that before they came to Christ. And they were actually, both of them were convicted with felony uh, drug, what was it? Felony drug trafficking. Because they were trafficking drugs, they were drug addicts, but they were also trafficking drugs on I-40 there in Arkansas, and they got busted, and both of them got sent to the penitentiary. And, and you would think they were worthless, they were, right, they, they, they were, they're lost, no good, worthless in society, a drain on society, but in prison... There was a chaplain who introduced Chuck to the Redeemer.
And a little bit later on, somebody introduced Loretta to the Redeemer. And when Marybeth and I met them in seminary, they were redeemed. And not only redeemed, not only reformed, they were transformed by the power of Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit. And he became a preacher of the gospel. And he reached people that I can't ever reach because he had been where they had been. He had experienced life like they had experienced. And he could reach people who were down in the dumps, down in the gutter. And he continues to do so. You see, he was a drain on society. And many people would have written he and Loretta off as lost causes. But someone loved them enough. Saw their human value. And introduced them to the Redeemer. And not only are they productive members of this society, they are productive members of God's kingdom. Leading people to Christ. Day in and day out. Treat criminals with dignity. Recognize their intrinsic value by pointing them to the Redeemer, Jesus Christ. All life is worthy of being treated with dignity. We're to treat all life with dignity and respect. You are to treat you, my friend, you were created. Each and every one of you were created in the image and likeness of God. You have value. You hear me? I don't care what your mama said. I don't care what your daddy said. I don't care what your boss said. I don't care what that person on Facebook said with their nasty, snarly comments. You are valuable because you are created in the image and likeness of God. And Christ loves you. And He values you. And this is how He shows His love and His value for you. In that He became a curse for you. He died for you in your place. And if you trust in Jesus Christ, He will not only redeem you from all of your sins, all of your crime against God, but He will transform your life by giving you a the gift of the Holy Spirit to come into your life and live in your heart and change you from the inside out. Maybe you need a restart today. Maybe you need a fresh start. Maybe you don't understand the own, your own value. Turn to Christ. Look to Christ. He became a curse for you so that you could become the righteousness and the joy of God. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank You for Your Word. And Lord, You, you cover all the bases, don't You? I mean, why are we talking about the criminal justice system today 
here in church because your word covers it. Your word tells us how we ought to think about these things. You, you are to affect every part of our lives. Lord, thank you for informing us and teaching us how to transform our minds and conform them to your image and your likeness and your way of thinking. And greater still, Lord, thank you. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for becoming a curse for us so that we might have life in you. Oh Lord, surely there are those today who are feeling devalued. They feel like they have no worth. Lord, let them see Jesus. Let them understand that you see their value by pointing them to the Redeemer, Jesus Christ. And this I pray in Christ's name. Amen.